You are listening to Church of the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchoftheoaks.com. guys. My name is Drew, and uh, I'm on staff here at, at Church of the Oaks, and it's, it's an honor to get to, to come in front of you and teach from God's Word this morning. So if you got a Bible with you, or if you got it on your phones, then open it up to the book of Luke, the book of Luke. Imagine that. We've been in Luke for, for a long time, and we're just going to keep, keep moving through it this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9. We'll be reading verses 18 through 27 this morning. So, you know, last week, Britain walked us through uh, the, the story in Luke of Jesus feeding 5,000 men, uh, maybe even more than that, people, with just five loaves and, and two fish. And we talked about how Jesus provides for us as we are on mission for him. And so this week, we're just going to pick up right where we, we left off with that in, in verse 18. Um, before that, uh, you know, there's certain things that, uh, that happen in life, certain moments, these big moments that happen that, that we remember exactly where we were when, when they happen. These huge kind of world-changing uh, events that all of us have, have imprinted in our minds. Man, this is where I was when that happened. You know, like 9-11 is one of those things. Uh, for, for some of you, uh, you know, older people in the room, there's some, some, some other events probably come to mind. Actually, uh, just recently, though, we all kind of lived through one of those events just a few weeks ago when, uh, when Queen Elizabeth uh, passed away, right? I, I can remember exactly where I was when I, I got a text, actually from, from Grace. Grace texted our group chat. She said, guys, Queen Elizabeth just passed away. And that was a, that was a huge moment, right? She had, been, she had lived so long and, and been queen for so long. Um, you know, in a way, it's obviously sad when someone, someone dies like that. But, uh, but in another way, it was, it was also this cool, cool moment of celebration, celebrating all that she had done. Uh, she had reigned for so long, had such a full life. And so there were a lot of cool stories that, that came out of that. So being on social media was really interesting in those, those days following her, her death. And there was one story that I thought was just really, really cool and really funny about Queen Elizabeth that I saw on Twitter after, uh, after, soon after she, she passed away. Some of you guys may have seen it. Uh, there was a guy, her, her bodyguard, this bodyguard was telling this story. And he said one day, uh, him and some others and the queen were having a picnic uh, up, up in the countryside in like northern England. And there were some American hikers who were walking through the area where they were having that picnic, and they, they come up on the queen, and they don't recognize who she is. They don't know that she's the queen. So they just start talking to her like she's any other, uh, like she's any other person. And uh, so just like you would you know, strike up conversation with, with any stranger, they, they ask her some questions. They're like, well, where are you from? And evidently the queen was really quick-witted, and she said, well, I, I'm, I'm from London, but actually have a, a vacation home here, a holiday home that I come and spend some time at. And so they, they still didn't, dots didn't click. 
uh, didn't connect. So they ask her another question. They're like, well, how long have you been coming up here to your vacation home? And she said, well, I've actually been coming ever since I was a little girl. I've been, I've been coming with my family. Uh, and uh, they still don't, don't recognize, but, but they know they know that the queen actually has a vacation home in that area. So they say, oh, you've been coming up here for a long time. Have you ever met the queen? <laughs> and she says, man, Queen Elizabeth must have been hilarious. She said, actually, no, I haven't met her, but she points to her bodyguard. She says, this guy, he hangs out with her a lot, actually. You should talk to him. So these guys, these American tourists, they turn to her body, the queen's bodyguard and they are overjoyed that they're getting to meet this guy who's met the queen. And they, those American tourists, they hand their, their phone, their camera to Queen Elizabeth and they ask her to take a picture of them with her bodyguard so that they can go home and tell all their friends that they met this guy who's met the queen. And so thankfully, thankfully, the bodyguard had enough, uh, enough of his senses about him to make sure that before they left, he, he actually took a picture of them with her and then left that on their phone for them so that when they went home, they could show all their friends. And, and the queen, is, as they walked away, she said, man, if I could just be a fly on the wall when those guys show that picture to their friends, right, when they go home. So that was a cool, I just thought that was a really funny story about, about not only those guys, but about the queen. She just sounds like you know, an awesome, awesome person. But I... I tell that story to say, to make the point, that a person's identity can just totally change the way that we act towards them, right? So, like, if those guys had, had known who this was that they were talking to, that entire encounter would have been completely different, right? Drastically different. And, and the same thing is, is true of, of Jesus, I think we're going to see that in this passage today. What we really believe about Jesus and who he is, who we really think Jesus is, changes everything about the way we interact with him and about our lives. And so that's, that's the question that I want us to, to consider this morning is, like for you, who do you really believe that, that Jesus is? And I don't just mean like on a surface level, uh, just kind of like some, some facts about him. I mean like at a deep down heart level, like, like when, you, when you say the word Jesus, what do you mean? What do you really mean? And I think what Jesus does in this passage that we're about to read is he, he lays out for his disciples first, and then for us, uh, first what he is, or sorry, who he is, and then what that means for us. All right, so we're going we're to look at those two questions this morning. Who is Jesus? And what does that mean for us? So open up your your Bibles if you're not already there. Luke 9, and we're going to read verses 18 through 27. It says, Now it happened that as he was praying, as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. 
And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there is some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So Father, I just ask you as, as I preach your word this morning, would you help me speak what is true? And would you speak through me to all of us here through your word? And make us more like you this morning, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're just going to look first in verses 18 through 22. And uh, we're going to look at an answer to that first question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And it's, it's a question that a lot of people were obviously asking. So, so just look at verse 18. It happened as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And so the disciples tell him, say, well, some people say you're, you're John the Baptist. Uh, some people say you're Elijah. And some people say you're, you're another prophet who's, who's risen from the dead. Now, uh, if you remember from, from last week when we, we talked about the, the previous passage in this chapter, if you go back to verses 7 through 9, this is actually the same thing that Herod had heard about who Jesus was. Um, it was verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 7, it was said by some that uh, John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. So these rumors are circulating pretty widely about who Jesus is. Um, and, and, you know, people are interested in who he is for good reason. Jesus is doing some crazy stuff. Jesus is traveling around Israel and Judah, and he's, he's teaching with authority that, that no one's ever, ever heard before. He's, he's healing people of, of diseases. He's casting out demons. Uh, so, of course, people are, are wondering, man, who, who is this? Who is this guy? And uh, yeah, it, everyone's, everyone's curious about him. And so if we zoom out from that and just fast forward to today... Jesus is not, uh, he's not physically on earth walking around healing people today, but still, in, in, in many ways, I think the situation is pretty similar today as it was back then, right? People still are, are curious about who Jesus is. And honestly, if we think about it, everyone, at least, at least here uh, in, in Tuscaloosa and in most of America, everyone has an opinion about who Jesus is. And there's, there's all kinds of opinions out there about who he is. So some people... Well, uh, their, their opinion of Jesus is that and he, was, uh, he was a good moral role model. He taught us how to live in a, in a good way. Uh, other people think that Jesus was uh, a social activist. He, he brought change to his, to his time, to his, where he was at. Others think Jesus was a really great teacher. Um, some people's opinion of Jesus is that he's, he's made up. He's, he was a myth. He, he, just, he wasn't actually real. There's, I, could, I could keep on going. There's all kinds of opinions in the world today about who Jesus is, just as there were opinions in the world uh, 2,000 years ago about who he is. Uh, but ultimately, 
none of that really matters, and that's what Jesus is uh, going to point out to his disciples here. It doesn't really matter what all the crowds say about Jesus, just like today. It doesn't really matter what, what everyone else says about Jesus. What matters is, uh, as Jesus is going to say, is what, what you think, right? So look at verse 20. So, talked about all the crowds. They've told him who the crowds think he is. But then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? So Jesus, he takes the focus off of all these other people, and he puts it squarely on his disciples. He says, who, who do you say that I am? And I think as we read this passage today, that's the same sort of thing that he, he wants us to ask in, in the room this morning. So now the world has all kinds of opinions about who Jesus is. You could really spend your whole life learning and reading. Uh, you can go read books. You can go listen to lectures. You can watch YouTube videos, TV series, all these things about who Jesus is. But in the end, what really matters is who do you say that I am? Who, who do you say that Jesus is? And I really believe that that question is the most important question you're ever going to answer in life. Who is Jesus? And so there's some of us in the room this morning, some of you have probably never really thought very seriously about that question. Uh, it's just never really been a big deal in your mind. Uh, there, there's some of you who have, are actually in the middle of, of wrestling through that question right now. You're thinking really deeply about it. And, and others of us have, have already come to our conclusions about who Jesus is. And so regardless of where you're at, this is a question for, for all of us. So I'm not just talking to one group in the room this morning. I'm talking to all of us. Uh, and I'm asking us to consider the question, who do you say that Jesus is? And so in verse 20, Peter speaks up and he, he answers Jesus' question. And then he said to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. The Christ of God. Now, this is the first time in the book of Luke that a, a person has referred to Jesus with that title of, of Christ. Um, and so uh, we've got to ask the question, what, what does Christ mean? It's a word that we throw out all the time. We, we're really used to hearing Jesus Christ. But what does that mean when Peter says Jesus is the Christ? Uh, I, I used to think when I was little, I used to think Christ was just Jesus' last name, right? Jesus Christ. Um, some of you may, may have thought that too, you may think it now, but it's not Jesus' last name, okay? Uh, Christ is uh, an English, English word that comes from a Greek word, Christos, okay? The Greek word Christos is a translation of a Hebrew word that you've probably heard before, Messiah, Messiah. And all those words, though, Christ, Christos, Messiah, they all had the same meaning. And the meaning is anointed one. Anointed one. So see, when Israel had a monarchy, uh, they would identify the next king of Israel by anointing their head with, with oil. And so anointed, the anointed one was really just the king of Israel. That's the anointed one. But the problem is, like during Jesus' time, Israel had not had a, a monarchy, a king, for over 500 years. So, you know, there's, there is no anointed one. There is no king. But during those 500 years, 
without a king, the people of Israel, they hadn't given up on the idea of, of having a king one day. And so as they read the Old Testament, uh, they saw that God had actually promised another king for them to come. A king who would save and restore God's people. And so, for example, uh, the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says about this, this king who's going to come. So Jeremiah wrote this several hundred years before Jesus, and he wrote it uh, at a time when Israel's monarchy was crumbling. People were being taken into exile. It was a really bad time for Israel, and there was no king. And listen to what he said. He said in Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, he said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which you will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. So these people in Jesus' time are reading, they're reading passages like this, and they're thinking, man, we, we have some real hope. We have a, a promise of a future king who's going to come, and he's going to save us. He's going to save Israel. And so when Peter... So those people, when they, as they were looking forward to this, this king, they started to use a term to refer to, to this king who was going to come, this king they saw in the Old Testament. And the term they chose was Messiah, Christ. And so when Peter says Jesus is the Christ of God, he's, he's recognizing that Jesus is more than just a prophet. He's more than, than John the Baptist. He is the king. He is God's promised Savior who's come to save his people. So this is, this is a huge moment for, for Peter and for the disciples. But, but, Jesus knows that although Peter recognizes he's the Christ, Peter doesn't actually understand what that means. Okay, and that's maybe why in verse 21 he, he tells them not to go telling anybody. Uh, Jesus doesn't want Peter going out and telling everyone he's the Christ if Peter doesn't understand what that means. Okay, and so what Jesus does next in verse 22, is he lays out very clearly, very plainly, what it actually means that he's the Christ. And, and so this is what I want us to really hone in on as we try to answer that question of, of who is Jesus, who is the Christ. He tells us right here. Listen to what he says in verse 22. Jesus says, the Son of Man, that's him, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. He says, the Son of Man must suffer, be rejected, be killed, and be raised. Now, realize that when Jesus said that, that must have made zero sense to the disciples who were there, right? We're looking for this king, who's going to come and, and save us and save our country. And you're saying that you came to, to suffer and to be rejected and to be killed? They didn't understand. And it actually tells us really clearly that they didn't understand. In verse 45, later in the chapter, it says they did not understand this saying. All right, point blank. They didn't understand. How, how will Jesus save his people by, by suffering, by dying? I want you to just hold your place in, uh, in Luke 9 and turn with me really quickly 
back to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. Let's just listen to what the prophet Isaiah says about the Christ who's going to come. About the future king, about Jesus. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So listen, Jesus came to save his people, not by being a worldly king, but by suffering and dying in our place. So no matter what the disciples and Peter thought that their biggest problem was, uh, they thought their biggest problem was, was Rome, that their biggest problem was that they don't have a king. That wasn't their biggest problem. Their biggest problem is the same problem that, that, that we have today. Their biggest problem was sin. Sin that, that separates us from God. And in the moment, we think, when we're, when we're sinning, we think... That, our, that sin is going to give us happiness. It's going to give us pleasure. It's going to give us comfort, satisfaction, life. But it doesn't. Sin only leads to death. Sin just leads to death. And apart from a Savior, that's where we're all headed. We're all headed towards death. But the good news is that Jesus suffered and died in our place. He died so that everyone who would just trust in him would be completely forgiven of their sin. And then, like he said, he came to be, Jesus came to be raised on the third day, defeating death and then giving eternal life to everyone who would just trust in him. And so that, none of that means that we won't face suffering in this life. We will. Um, actually, as we're about to see, we're, we're promised to face suffering in this life, but, but Jesus has he suffered. He knows what it's like to suffer, so he suffers with us. And then he gives us uh, a reward to look forward to that overcomes, uh, overcomes any amount of suffering we could ever face in this life. And that, that reward is eternal life. And so this is who Jesus says he is. Jesus says, this is who I am. I am the Christ. And I came to suffer and die and be raised so that you can have life. And so now... I, I just want to stop for a second and acknowledge that for some of you, when you came in today, if someone were to ask you, who is Jesus, who is the Christ, or who is Jesus, that right there, what I just explained, would would not have been your answer, right? Uh, And I don't know what your answer would have been. It might have been uh, a lot of different things. Maybe you would have said one of those things that we listed off earlier. Maybe your answer would have been, and I think Jesus was just a really good teacher, a really good guy. He came to show us uh, the right way to live, show us the things to do, things not to do. I, I don't know. I don't know what you would have said. 
uh, but it wouldn't have been that. And so if that's you this morning, I would just ask you to consider who Jesus himself claims to be here in this passage. If this is really who Jesus claimed to be, then, you know, as C.S. Lewis famously said, either he's a liar, he's just making it up, either he's a lunatic, uh, he's crazy, or this is really who he is. He really is the Christ. And if Jesus really is the Christ, then it, it should change everything about the way we relate to him, right? Just like if, if those, uh, those American hikers had recognized that this, this Elizabeth that they were talking to was actually Queen Elizabeth, uh, in the same way, if we recognize that, that this Jesus is actually King Jesus, he's actually the Christ, this is going to change everything about the way our lives look. And so in the second half of this passage, uh, in verses 23 through, through 27, Jesus is going to lay out exactly what his identity as the Christ means for us. Okay, so we said, who is Jesus? He's the Christ. This is what he came to do. Now we're going to ask, what does that mean for us? And so Jesus, he, uh, he tells us exactly what it means for us in the form of three specific commands in the second part of this passage. Right? He says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Deny yourself, Take up your cross daily and follow me. So first, Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Now, I want to look first, notice first what he says leading up to that. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to come after me. So he's not talking about what it looks like to be the super mature Christian. This is actually just baseline of what it means to follow Jesus. Um, and the baseline begins with denying yourself. Now, when we hear that, when we hear the word deny yourself, the first thing that comes to our minds usually is deny myself of something, right? Uh, we think, okay, I'm supposed to deny myself of pleasure. I'm supposed to deny myself of food, deny myself of comfort. And there may be a, a place for that, but we've got to recognize that's not what Jesus says here. Jesus doesn't say deny yourself of something. Jesus says deny yourself. Deny your very self. The self that that wants to be in control of your life. The self that that wants to do what you want to do when you want to do it. Our our self that wants to to find joy in, in, in all the things of the world. The self that wants to be Lord. What Jesus is saying here is that to follow me, is to decide, I am not the Lord of my life. It's for us to say, I'm not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so what, what Jesus is doing in laying out these, these specific commands, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, he's drawing a distinction between just recognizing Jesus as the Christ and recognizing Jesus as the Lord. So it's possible to, to believe that Jesus is the Christ and actually not do anything about it, not follow him as Lord. And he's trying to guard us against doing that. So Jesus says to follow him is to to say, Jesus is Lord. It's to say, along with Paul in in Galatians 2.20, it's to say, I have been crucified with Christ. I've been killed with Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Which leads to what Jesus says next. Okay, so he says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Take up your cross daily, Jesus says. Now, for us, uh, a cross is a pretty, pretty common sight. We got crosses everywhere, right? Uh, we got crosses on, on our church buildings that we see all over the place. We have crosses hanging on the walls in our homes. We have crosses on our, on our cars, on our license plates. A cross is, is a pretty, pretty common thing. And I think that's okay. It's good. I mean, the cross is, is everything for us. So it makes sense that we would have, have crosses everywhere. But I think because of that, we, we easily lose sight of what a cross actually is. So remember that like, for, these, for these disciples, Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. So when he's telling them, take up your cross, they don't, they don't have that in mind. They're thinking about what they know of a cross. And what they know of a cross is that a cross is an, is an instrument of absolute death. A cross uh, is a, an instrument that's used for a slow, painful, suffering, absolute death. And so that's... That's what his disciples are thinking when he told them this. Uh, so to follow Jesus, pretty, put it simply, to follow Jesus is to die. It's to die to our sin, to die to ourselves, and just to surrender our lives to Jesus as Lord. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian, he summarized this teaching of Jesus really well. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And this death is not a, just a one-time decision. This is a daily activity. He says, take up your cross daily. So if Jesus is the Christ, and if we're following him as our Lord, then, then every morning we wake up and we choose to die to our sin, to die to ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus. And as we, as we deny ourselves, we take up our cross. Third, Jesus says, follow me, follow me. And it's interesting, this phrase, follow me, it's the same, uh, the same Greek phrase that he uses at the beginning of that verse that's translated, come after me. And so, in a way, what, it's as if Jesus is saying, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So he's describing the way in which we're supposed to follow him. So, in other words... Jesus isn't interested in just a bunch of fans following him around, kind of cheering him on from a distance, right? So think about like how, uh, think about how a lot of us are, are, are fans of, of a specific team, right? Many of us are, are fans of, of Alabama football. Uh, many of you guys are fans of Alabama football. I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to share who I'm a fan of. Uh, but we're fans of Alabama football, right? So think about what that means to be, to be a fan. Uh, a lot of times we even use the word follower. We say, I, I follow the Crimson Tide, right? What does that actually mean? That means we, uh, we, we go to the games or, or we watch them on TV. And from a distance, we, we watch what the team's doing and we cheer them on, right? We celebrate when they do something good. We're upset when they do something bad. Uh, they score a touchdown and we give each other high fives. We celebrate. 
but we haven't actually done anything, right? All we've done is watch them do it. And so you think about it in a way, it's kind of comical that we do this. Uh, we get so hyped about something that, that a bunch of 18 to 22-year-old kids are doing. Uh, we, we just let it become our, our, our joy to, to celebrate them running a ball across the line, right? But that's what we do. That, that type of following, that type of being a, being a fan is not what Jesus is describing here, right? He says, if that's what you want to do, if you just want to look at me and, 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 and cheer me on from a distance, you can't be my disciple. That's not what it means to follow me. And so if we were to, to kind of take the football analogy further, what Jesus asked us to do is to put on some pads, put on some helmets, and get in the game with him, right? He says, come follow me, come with me. Uh, now, it's, it's a game that, that, that's already been won, right? It's not like we're having to try to fight with Jesus to, to win the victory. He's already won it. So uh, it's kind of a cool game to be a part of. Just come, come get in and, and automatic win, right? But we have to actually do it. We can't just stand on the sidelines. We can't just stand far off. Jesus says his followers follow him into self-denial and death. Okay, so now, at this point in the passage... Uh, if you are not a follower of Jesus, you may be asking, why in the world would I ever sign up to do that? All right, this is just a, some heavy stuff, uh, heavy, heavy talk about uh, leaving everything behind, self-denial, death. Uh, why would I want to do that? And, and some of you guys who are Christians, maybe you're asking, man, what, what did I sign up for in, in following Jesus? Um, but I want us to see that Jesus doesn't invite us to come and die for no reason. And so I want to kind of close out our time together this morning in the same way that Jesus ends this lesson to his disciples, and that is by seeing why following Jesus is worth it. Why follow Jesus? And notice that what follows, verse 23, is three statements in a row that start with the word for. F-O-R. So Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm telling you to follow me, but I'm telling you to follow me on this ground for, for this reason. Jesus doesn't leave us without the why. Right? He tells us, this is why I'm asking you to follow me. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So listen, the reason, the reason for us denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following Jesus is that it's the only way to real life. Denying ourselves is the only way to have real life. And Jesus wants you to have life. He wants you to have life to the fullest. Jesus doesn't want us just to be, to be miserable. That's not why he came. John 10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Right? Jesus wants to give us fullness of joy. And he wants you not only to have life in the present, like right now, but he wants to give you eternal life. He wants us to live forever, 
with him. This is what Jesus wants. The problem is, though, that there's there's this paradox, right? And Jesus knows this. He knows that if we try to gain that life on our own, if we try to save our life and make our life good by pursuing our own pleasures and our own desires and our own comforts and things of this world, things that we think will make us happy and give us joy, he knows that if we do that, then we're going to completely lose out on the only life that really matters, eternal life, right? The result of a life lived that way, if we just give our whole lives, our whole selves to the things we think are going to make us happy, the result of that is is death, eternal death. But the beauty of what Jesus is saying is that the greatest, the greatest joy, the most abundant life possible, both now and for eternity, is only found when we say no to our sin and to ourselves and we completely give ourselves to Jesus' lordship instead. And think about why that is. Why is that true? Well, remember, remember the full story from, uh, from, from verse 22 when Jesus is describing who he is. He said, I came to suffer, to die, and then on the third day to be raised, right? So in the same way, Jesus calls us to suffer, to die. But in the same way that Jesus was raised from the dead, if we're willing to actually suffer and die with him, then we get to experience that with him too. We get to rise from the dead and have real, true life. Um, and so we follow Jesus to find life and joy where it can truly be found and not where it can't. The only place it can be found is in him. And so we'll end on, on verse 27. Jesus says in verse 27, I tell you truly, talking to his disciples, there is some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Right? So this verse, I mean, it reminds us that there is a kingdom for all who choose this path. It's a kingdom that has both already come, that we get to be a part of now, and it's a kingdom that will fully come in the future when Jesus returns and he makes, he makes all things new. And so these disciples who are with Jesus, they saw the beginning of that kingdom coming to earth. And, and now, today, in the same way, Jesus invites every one of us to be a part of his kingdom. And the way to do that is costly, but it leads to immeasurable joy. It's to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and to follow Jesus. Okay, so that, there are some of you uh, in the room this morning, some of us here, and you have, you have never had a moment like Peter had in this passage. Maybe you've been going to church your whole life. You might even call yourself a Christian, but, but there's never been a moment when you have recognized Jesus as who he truly is, as the Christ of God, the Christ who came to suffer, to die, and to be raised from the dead so that you can have life. Listen, if Jesus, maybe today, maybe today you're hearing all this and you're just kind of realizing that for the first time. You're saying, man, I really, I think this is who Jesus actually is. If that's who he is, if Jesus really is the Christ, then the only response is to deny yourself and to follow him, to make him Lord. I want to, I want to mention and make clear, though, that the link between recognizing Jesus as Christ 
and recognizing him as Lord is not an automatic thing. It doesn't automatically happen. And so there, there might be some of you in the room this morning who actually do believe that Jesus is the Christ. Maybe you too call yourself a Christian, but when you compare your life to what we see here in, in Luke chapter 9, it doesn't match up. It doesn't line up. And I, I want to be really careful in saying this next point, but I, I have to say it because it's what the passage says. If you call yourself a Christian, if we call ourselves Christians, but if there is no evidence in your life of, of self-denial, if the functional Lord of your life is really yourself, then Jesus is saying here that, that you're, according to God's word, you're, you're not a follower of Jesus. You're not a Christian. And so if you, if you find yourself in either one of those situations today, either, either Jesus, you've never recognized him as Christ or you've never recognized him as Lord, man, the same, uh, the same next step applies to you. And Jesus holds out to you a life that is more abundant, it's more joyful than anything this world has to offer. Anything you think you can find in this world, the life that Jesus offers is better. And so my, my prayer for you is that you would just step out today and actually receive that life by denying yourself and, and uh, taking up your cross and following Jesus. And if that's a decision you want to make, uh, there's all kinds of people here who would love to talk to you about what that looks like. There's people at Next Steps. There's people sitting all around you who would love to talk about that with you. But that's a decision that you can make today to follow Jesus. And now for those of us in the room who, ha- who have done that, though, who have, have seen G- who Jesus is, we've made this decision, we've denied ourselves, we've taken up our cross, we've followed him, I want to just call our attention to uh, one word in this, in this passage, and that is daily, right? Daily. This is not a, a one-time decision that we make as a Christian to deny ourselves. This is something that we do every single day. So if we're, if we're following Jesus every day, we wake up and we, we just tell him, Jesus, you are Lord and I'm not. And I, I turn today from my, from my worldly desires, from my own plans for my life, my own thoughts, my own sin. I turn from myself. I deny myself. I die to myself. I take up my cross and I follow you. Whatever you ask me to do, Wherever you ask me to go, I'll follow you. I'm your servant. And for some of us, you know, dying and, and taking up our cross daily as, as believers, that's going to mean dying to a particular sin that continues to, to linger and, and tempt us, even, even as we follow Jesus. It's going to say, Jesus, I, I, I give that over to you. For some of us, uh, denying yourself and, and following Jesus, it's going to mean a drastic shift in the way that we spend our time. That's going to mean instead of spending our time on our own interests, uh, instead we're going, to, we're going to give our time to intentionally reaching out to our neighbors, to our coworkers, our classmates, international students, families in our city, and we're going to share the gospel with them and our, and our lives with them. That's what it's going to look like to deny ourselves. And for others of us, uh, denying yourself, following Jesus is going to mean a drastic shift in your plans, the plans for your life. For you college students, for some of you guys, denying yourself, following Jesus, that's going to mean a plan, a change in plans for your summer. 
All right, we've been talking for a while now about, uh, about opportunities to go and give your summer to, to taking the gospel to, to unreached parts of our, our state and our city and our world. Uh, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that we're reading this passage together on the same Sunday that we're, that we're talking about GoCon, that we're talking about uh, taking the gospel to the farthest corners of the world. Doing that is going to require denying yourself, taking up your cross. Uh, it's going to require some suffering, some self-denial. Um, and so, uh, uh, whatever it looks like, whatever it looks like, uh, all these things, whatever the step God's calling you to take in, uh, in self-denial, it's always, there's always going to be this voice that says, man, it's not worth it. Denying yourself is not worth it. That's too much. That's too hard. I oh, mean, look at, look at all this world has to offer. But Jesus says, no, 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 that, that mentality leads only to death. The only way to real eternal life and real joy is the way of the cross. So let me pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for, uh, for sending your son into the world to be the Christ for us, Lord. And we thank you that uh, we thank you that this world and the, that the pleasures of this world, the, the joys of this world, is not all there is. God, if, if it were, we would be, we would be doomed. Um, but we thank you, Father, that you hold out to us an offer of, of joy and of life that we cannot even imagine or comprehend. And Lord, I pray that you would just lead each of us today to step out uh, and receive Receive that life, receive that joy by denying ourselves, God, by, by turning from our sin and ourselves, taking up our cross and following you, God. Give us, give us the, uh, the strength that we need uh, to do that and, and help us to trust fully in you, not in ourselves. Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.